Alright guys, welcome back to episode 4. Read the tag. I don't know exactly what that title means. Uh, once you listen to Steve and his commentary on all the events that went down. So, please enjoy the episode as we jump right back in to Steve's incredible storytelling. Thank you. Alright, so... So that kind of covers some of the aspects of the law. They, 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 they wanted to have the law both ways. If they capitalized on some of the ambiguities and some of the aspects of the law that a regular, a regular attorney may not even understand, you know, outside the wildlife code, there are a few statutes that still exist about animals and property rights and animals. And those statutes talk about you, you you can obtain a property right in an animal if it's not wild. You can't own the wildlife on your property, but if you domesticate it or capture it or, or somehow, you know, obtain it and make it your property, then it is your property. Of course, you have to follow all the laws. It doesn't just say you can just take something from the wild, but it, that's how you establish a property right. So the state of Georgia did not want to recognize that I was able to obtain any property rights in these, in these turtles. And uh, they just wanted to argue that I couldn't obtain property rights. They also had a wild animal uh, statute next to wildlife as a definition. And I guess the idea behind a wild animal would be something that's not native to Georgia. But they don't actually come out and explain that in the wild animal code. They just basically say that a wild animal is an animal that's not wildlife. But it doesn't explain why it wouldn't be wildlife. But it wouldn't be wildlife because it's not native to the state of Georgia, like a zebra, for example. That would be considered a wild animal or, uh, you know, a, a tiger. Yeah, I was fixing to say tiger. <laughs> yeah, the tiger would be a wild animal. But they don't, say a, they don't say it's a wild animal because it's not from flipping Georgia, you know. Right. So so they're able to really complicate everything. So then there was this big argument about which of my turtles are wild yeah. animals versus Very wild gray life. area. It's just it, it's just crazy. I wouldn't say necessarily gray. I would no, say, yeah. They, I, mean, I would just say they argue about they they, they, they they want to act like there's no legal way that I could possess turtles lawfully in Georgia, right. no matter what. You know, it's like no matter if I bought them at PetSmart, oh, no, it's wild, a wildlife or wild animal, and he didn't have a wild animal permit. Well, you go to PetSmart and you buy one of those tortoises somebody bred, you don't need to have a wild animal permit to have a, a you know, whatever kind of tortoise, red-footed no. tortoise or whatever, you know, or a, some type of boa constrictor or python. Right. You don't need a wild animal license from the state of Georgia. No, that's, I that's actually owned a uh, bald python um, as a teenager. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, so, yeah, so they were arguing that you would have to have some type of permit. Well, you don't. Uh, but that's how this case was unfolding. It just was a nightmare. So I finally got my trial, and it was a four-day trial. They had about 30 or 40 people. All the game warden friends were in there, and all sorts of people were in there. And I just had me, my wife, uh, my one or two of my witnesses, once they'd already testified, they were able to sit in there. And I had, the, the coolest thing is, I had one of the court reporters sitting in on my side. One of the court reporters from my property lawsuit with Judge Tom Davis. Judge Tom Davis ended up getting my property lawsuit from Judge Jackson. And that court reporter came in and sat in on my criminal trial. Uh, especially for the verdict, Excellent. but uh, yeah, it, take, it took four days, and uh, there were 
they were uh, they were all misdemeanors, but there were 21 misdemeanor charges, so I technically could have went to jail for 21 years. And they basically promised me jail. Uh, they they offered me a plea deal, and the plea deal was restitution of I think forty thousand dollars restitution to the state, even though that I hadn't even been charged with taking any turtles from the state, hadn't been charged for nothing for taking turtles. It's all about and, the money. And I'm telling you, this is this is uh, this is absolutely 100% correct. All of my turtle taken from the state of Georgia happened before I went to the University of Florida, and I registered at the University of Florida. Uh, in 1991, that was before Georgia protected any of those turtles. I you went to the all... University of Florida. Yeah, I went to the University of Florida after I left Georgia. Uh, well, wow. before I came back to Georgia, so I went to the University of Florida in 1991, and I had all those turtle species in Georgia. And by when I came back, they protected all those turtles, and I was no longer going in the field in Georgia to collect turtles. I went out once or twice uh, to see some different aspects of some rivers or go canoeing or something and took some pictures maybe of some turtles. But I hadn't been collecting. I already had them, and I had plenty of them, and I was breeding them. So they had not charged me for illegally taking any turtles from the wild at all. And and there's this big myth and stigma that, oh, Steve Sandhoff did all this, and he got convicted of this, and he did this, and he he was taking turtles across state lines, and, oh, he was the biggest turtle seller there ever was. I never sold a turtle to anybody, and I didn't believe in selling turtles. I believed in the conservation of wildlife, and I fought hard with these game wardens and wildlife officers to fight uh, the trade in wildlife because it's destructive to nature, you know? You can't take all these animals out of the wild and, and expect them to survive, especially if somebody gets really good at collecting. You can wipe out some animals if you know what you're doing. You know, you can just totally wipe them out, especially turtles. Turtles are easy to wipe out. You can catch every one. But um, so I had that four-day mini-murder trial, and Thomas Floyd pranced around uh, with my common map turtles from Arkansas that I was breeding. And he was prancing around like, oh, here's a common map turtle. They only live in North Georgia. They're very rare in Georgia. And he's, he's got all these turtles. Well, they never said I was like the world's most successful map turtle breeder, but I was. Right. I mean, I've bred more map turtles than anybody on the planet Earth. As far describe as a map turtle. Very, very, describe briefly. a map turtle. Yeah, briefly. All right. There's 14 species of map turtles, and they live in the Gulf Coast River systems. And they, the common map turtle is also called the northern map turtle, and it lives all the way up into Ontario, Canada, and some. And they're in some of the bigger lakes, some of the big natural lakes, and yep. they're in some of those lakes. Um, so the common map turtle is in the middle and upper Mississippi River drainage system. It's in the upper Alabama River system, which would include northern Georgia. It's in the Tennessee River system, which is my neck of the woods. Yeah, there there are a few up there. Now, they're very rare in the Conestoga River. I have seen like two in my life, and I've been on the Conestoga like 20 or 30 times, and I've only seen two. Um, but there are in a few other uh, parts of some rivers that are probably a little more common. There, I, I haven't been on the Hiawassee, but I imagine there might be a few more on the Hiawassee that flows into the Tennessee River. And then there's some creeks in northwest Georgia that there's a few more in maybe. Um, but that's it. They're just in Northwest Georgia. That's it. They're not in Northeast Georgia. They're not in Central Georgia. They're not in South Georgia. Common map turtles are 
I never caught a common mountain turtle in Georgia. Not one. Right. Not a single one. I've seen like two or three and got a picture of one sitting on a log. Yeah. I've seen one or two from a bridge. And that's it. And here Thomas Floyd is prancing around with my common mountain turtles in the jury, acting like I've violated the Georgia law because I got these common mountain turtles. And they should send me to prison for having these common mountain turtles. And then John Jensen, like I said, John Jensen's a good, admirable man. I like him. And he was on the witness stand, and he was holding some skulls they brought out. Because as a zoologist, I have a collection of shells and skulls because I've actually done some pretty serious studies on these skulls. And now there's three species of alligator snap turtle. And a lot of the stuff I was working on kind of led to the three species of these alligator snap turtles. Right. And uh, so he was holding up one of my skulls, and I had a <clears throat> I had a three by five card tagged to this skull, and I could see which skull he was holding because I didn't have a lot of skulls, maybe half a dozen or ten or so, and uh, I could tell which one it was, and it was one that I found in Florida with the Florida Game and Fish Commission biologist Paul Moeller, and it was one that we found off the Escambia River. Uh, you know, when we were both out on the Escambia River together. And it was a dead it was a dead animal that I collected and it was stinking and, you know, I turned it into a skeleton skeleton trying to save the shell, but the shell had already been disarticulated. Mm-hmm. And uh so but I hey he had that skull as evidence and it's from Florida and I'm in trial in Georgia, in state court in Georgia, and he's holding a, a, a alligator snapping turtle skull from Florida. Mm-hmm. Now it's a whole separate species. I think. Yeah, it is. It is a whole separate species. Um, but he's holding it, and he, there took the, the prosecutors asking him questions about this is an alligator snapping turtle skull, and it's illegal in Georgia to possess it. And Mr. Santos, did he have permits? No, he didn't have permits. And I told my attorney, I said, I said, his name's Steve Wasley. I said, Wasley, get the judge, tell the judge you need him to read the tag. Read the tag. And he's like, why? I'm like, I'm telling you, it's going to help me. Read the tag. Make sure he emphasizes the information on the tag. And so my attorney said, Your Honor, I have an objection. He He's talking about evidence without fully talking about the evidence. He needs to read that tag that's on that turtle skull. <laughs> and he reads the tag. Escambia River, uh, Escambia County, Florida, McDavid, 1992. Collected with Paul Muller of Florida Game and Fish Commission. I don't know if it said all that about Paul Muller, but yeah. uh, but it had the dates and it had the time and it had the location. And here he's using evidence from the state of Florida, a skull of a turtle shell. I mean, a, a, a turtle skull skeleton in Georgia, and I'm facing criminal jail of a year for having it. You know, oh, it's crazy. ridiculous. It's freaking nuts. So. Bottom line, we smoked them. I didn't sleep for two nights. I, and you know how somebody says I didn't sleep and they, they might have got a couple hours or a half hour? Right. You know, or they might have slept for three or four hours and felt like they didn't sleep and they said they didn't sleep. Right. My eyes were open or my brain was fully turned on for mm-hmm. two full nights during those four days. Well, that can make you kind of feel like you're going crazy. Oh, it was it was just it was really difficult now i still was able to be pretty alert and and my adrenaline i was running on adrenaline big time i was facing jail time matter of fact my wife's parents came into town from columbia my wife's colombian her parents came into town because i had a good chance of 
if I couldn't convict a jury that I didn't violate a state law, because if I can't convict the judge to do the right thing, this jury's looking at all these facts, and I've got all these, these turtles, and all they got to do is say well, all the judge has to do is, like, well, if you see the evidence that he had these species of turtles and he doesn't have these permits, it's a fact he doesn't have these permits, then you have to convict him, and then the judge is going to sentence me to jail time. 21 misdemeanor charges guaranteed to be jail time. How many years were you looking at? I was looking at 21 years. If they wanted to say one year for every every uh, count, I had 21 charges going into trial. Now, we ended up getting it, it. The trial started with 17 charges. I had 21 charges when we were about to start trial, but my attorney, well, I was as familiar with my case as my attorney. I told my attorney, I'm like, look, I can't be charged four ways for this damn sea turtle because the sea turtle shell, the Hawksbill sea turtle shell, I can't be charged four ways because they're charging me for bringing it into the state of Georgia and also capturing it in the state of Georgia. They're charging me for a non-game species, and the definition said game species. I, I, I took advantage of a mistake in the wildlife code. They, they listed a sea turtle from the 40s as being a game species because you could take them and eat them in the 40s. But then when the, when the Endangered Species Act, the Federal Endangered Species Act came along in 73, you couldn't eat them anymore. So, um, uh, I took advantage of the fact that it was still listed as game species. It never had been corrected in definition. Sea turtle in Georgia listed as game species. So they charged me for violating the non-game wildlife code for having the sea, sea turtle. So I, uh, I capitalized on that. We were able to knock out one of the charges for non-game because the definition was game species. So that took care of several of those charges. And, uh, so uh, facing 21 years. So anyway, uh, the jury came back with all 17 counts not guilty. Uh, and Judge Inazoni had to read it, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And uh, I guess my trial strategy, I developed a trial strategy. And the trial strategy was to prove that there was no legal way to comply with the Georgia so-called law. Now I was I went to trial on stuff that wasn't a law, but the jury's looking at it as if it is the law. So now they are applying the facts. You follow me? Yeah. That is, so so that I is had like to, a nightmare. I mean, no, it's, it's you know, you're, you're you're having to go to trial for something uh, for a law that you broke that's not even a law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something I did that's a that they say is a violation of law, and they're not correct. But then the judge is not not legally ruling on the issue. So, okay. So I had asked them for permits. I'd asked them for permits when I was coming back into Georgia by making some phone calls. And they they said, you're not going to ever get permits. So I was leaving the University of Florida coming back to Georgia with these turtles. And I'd called. Now, I could have called John Jensen, and I probably could have got him to give me a permit, but I didn't want to take advantage of, you know, I didn't want to put him in that position or in case he thought he might not be able to. I didn't want to do a he's my friend scenario. He wasn't a great friend, but I knew him professionally, and I liked him, and he probably knew me and liked me fine. And I'd actually taught Paul Moeller how to trap turtles, and Paul Moeller taught John Jensen. So state of Georgia did their turtle surveys with John Jensen based on my knowledge and experience. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, um, so. I decided I had to show the jury that there was no legal way for me to comply with 
these laws because I couldn't show the jury that these laws weren't valid because that's not allowed. You can't argue the law for the in front of the jury. That's not allowed. You can see it's not the the jury doesn't handle aspects of law. They're only there for facts, and the judge won't allow the jury to even hear about the law. So really? I had to show yeah I had to show the jury that there was no legal way for me to comply with their law. I couldn't even argue with the jury that they didn't have any statutory authority to create the permits at all. I just had to go with, okay, yeah, the state of Georgia requires permits, and let's look at why I don't have permits. So they had taken from my files some permit applications, and those stupid people (laughs) fighting me in this prosecution used those permit applications against me. Thank God they did, because I was able to say, see, look, those permits don't apply. The permits, the only permit applications they would send me was to exhibit my turtles or for education. So I would have to go to schools, but I work full time, 80 hours a week, you know, in my job sometimes, mostly, you know, way over full time anyway, way over 40 hours. Or I'd have to exhibit my turtles. I don't want to exhibit my turtles. So I couldn't release the turtles legally because there's laws against releasing them. I couldn't sell them because there's laws against selling them. I couldn't neglect them because that would be uh, cruel, you know, sometimes some sort of animal neglect, cruelty to animals. Yeah, you probably have PETA all over you. Well, you know, (laughs) I couldn't. uh, As a matter of fact, one of the jurors was a PETA member. And we'd asked her when we were selecting her, we'd asked her if. If, if, you know, would this case be something that would be contrary to your thoughts being that you're a PETA person? Right. And she had answered if the turtles had been well taken care of, then there wouldn't be an issue. And I was able to show that I took care of them well, you know, in the course of the trial. They wanted to act like I hadn't taken good care of them, but the testimony was that I spent all – In the back of the judge's head, he's thinking the whole time, well – I mean, this is this is pretty easy to figure out. He's keeping a tropical turtle in an area that's not tropical. So how how well can he be uh, taking care of this turtle? Yeah, but then they bring out the turtle shell, the sea turtle shell. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a it's a shell, and he says three times, "That's a shell," and nobody does anything or says anything, and he says it again, "That's a shell," <laughs> and then he says it three times, "That's a shell," and I knew that the silly guy. The silly guy ruled against me. He's now retired. He ruled against me for, for three years illegally because he thought I had a sea turtle swimming around in my house. Wow. So um, I was able to show that there was no legal way for me to get a permit. They wouldn't give me a permit. They wouldn't work with me. I already had the turtles. I couldn't, you know, I, I tried to get a permit. They refused. And, and they, they, all, they said, no, we don't give permits for people to keep turtles, protected species of turtles. Okay, well, I was coming back from Georgia. I didn't want to get rid of my turtles. What now would I do? You know, when I went to when you I went to Florida, sell them. You can't get rid of them. You can't neglect them. You, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, they they should have worked with me, and that's how I won my trial easily. Um, when I went down to Florida, they gave me permits for my three alligator snapper turtles. When I went down to Florida, and the state of Georgia took those permits away from me, and I never I've never seen them again. They didn't give them back. But uh, so Florida gave me permits when I went down there, and then Georgia wouldn't give give me permits when I came back, and it, and they had changed, they protected the turtle. By the time I'd come back, they protected, I think, in 92. Mm. But uh, so so that covers that. So that's that trial. 
got acquitted Fox five. Uh, Randy Travis was in the courtroom with me filming the trial. He, uh, I was on the stand all day, one day, and uh, it totally was a four-day, four-full-day trial. And, man, it was a bunch of resources wasted. So Ralph Goldberg was my attorney for my lawsuit against Steve Seitz. Right. Do we need to take any kind of break? No, no, we're good to run for uh, at least 10 more minutes. We're good. We're good for a few more minutes. Okay, so Ralph Goldberg. I paid him all his money. Now, legally, there's a federal case called Younger versus Harris. My civil rights lawsuit had to be put on hold because of Younger versus Harris. I had to prove my or get through my criminal trial. We had to see if I was guilty of anything in my criminal trial before we could see if the state officer committed any civil rights violations. So right. once I won my trial and was acquitted, we were able to get my civil rights case back, open back up. Now, some point in time, Ralph Goldberg ended up telling me it was during discovery, and my my good friend Lance had submitted an affidavit. See, these officers were coming by my house pretty regularly, robbing me of my turtles. Mm. And I'd ask my friend Lance to keep an eye out. They'd come one time in June, and they'd come a few times in July, and I was noticing people having been in my backyard based on them moving my stuff around. I was really familiar with my backyard. I mean, I'd weed eat around the tanks, right. put the lids. I put the lids to the tanks on a certain way. I had to put them on a certain way to keep them tight because raccoons would get in there and eat the turtles. So I ended up knew, knowing everything about my backyard because I was back there every single day feeding turtles. Whether right. I was feeding them before I left in the morning, almost before the sun was up, or whether it was at nighttime, or whether I was cleaning them or whether, whether I was cleaning them at night, or whether I was spending all weekend with them. I mean, I would spend all weekend out there with them. It was really, it kind of was running my life. You need to put some kind of night vision camera out there. Uh, yeah, it was, they didn't have good cameras back in, you know. Yeah, that's true. Because I think but, we have one on our land, uh, and it picks up all kinds of wildlife, and it's always yeah. interesting. I mean, I've got cameras now and everything at the Thorny Turtle Ranch, but Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have cameras back then, so I wish I did, but it's okay. It turned out okay. So I knew that someone was coming back there and stealing my turtles, and I was missing turtles. So uh, in this civil rights lawsuit against Steve Seitz, Lance Fisher wrote an affidavit, and Ralph Goldberg was my attorney. And Ralph Goldberg submitted the affidavit. You know, Ralph Goldberg typed it up from what Lance had written. And if there was any changes or typographical errors in the affidavit or whatever, that that was not Lance. I don't, Lance didn't type it up and submit it, you know. So they wanted to do a deposition of Lance, but it was out of time in the discovery phase. So Ralph Goldberg was telling me it's out of time. The judge won't allow him to do it. Now, this was Judge Duffy. Judge Duffy was on the investigation against Clinton with Kenneth Starr. I don't know if you saw wow. Kenneth Starr in the impeachment hearing, but I wasn't very impressed. He didn't seem sincere. So now right. you got Judge Duffy. Now, Judge Duffy's not even a judge anymore. The federal judges are appointed for life. And at age 66, they announced uh, earlier in one, like one year, a couple years ago, that he was going to retire. Mm-hmm. So you got a 66-year-old judge appointed for life, now retired, and he's working as a mediator. He had complaints on the robing room. He had a full couple pages of complaints. They've disappeared from the internet. I may have 
printed them out at the time. I may have those in some of my old records. But he had complaints from attorneys and people, and everyone that worked for him was scared to work with him. He he was like going to throw the elevator crew in jail because they were making a little noise working on the elevator in the federal courthouse. And he oh, was, wow. He was just off his rocker, nuts, crazy. I can say that, but my attorneys can't say that on a podcast. Right. If you're able to get wisely, he he told me, I can't talk about my, my personal opinions with any of these judges, you know. I'll have a big problem with the bar. And I'm like, don't worry. You don't have to. I can (laughs) on my behalf. So Judge Duffy uh, was presented with the state of Georgia wanting to take Lance Fisher's deposition. And Ralph Goldberg's like, oh, they're not going to be able to. I've got my motion already drafted up on my legal pad here, and we're going to submit that. And by the way, you know, you know, you you haven't paid me, and you know I need twenty thousand dollars before I lift a finger on this case. And I'm like, I haven't paid you. I'm like, the last time you said something about money, I told you to look at your figures. No, no, I photocopied you my checks. Right. I photocopied all my checks of having paid you twenty something thousand dollars. And you can't say I haven't paid you. The case has been stayed from Younger versus Harrison. You told me I didn't have to keep paying you after I paid you the twenty-something thousand dollars. Right. So he's like, "Well, I'm not going to lift a finger until you pay me twenty thousand uh, dollars." So I don't. I I, I didn't have twenty thousand dollars anyway. Right. He didn't submit. You that paid him all your money that you I had. Him, I paid him everything I had, and he he didn't do any more work between that point in time. So now he's looking at this deposition out of time from discovery. It should never have been even. Uh, you know, they shouldn't have ever even considered it. They should have taken care of it before. But he did not submit that motion that it w- that he objected to the deposition being taken. He never submitted the motion. So then they were allowed to take a deposition, and that cost me a couple thousand dollars because I got to pay for the transcript. It's it was an all day deposition, or you know, many hours. It cost a thousand bucks for me to uh, pay for that transcript. But um. In that deposition, they showed Lance Fisher pictures of Steve Seitz because they, Lance had said that he had driven by and seen Steve Seitz uh, dressed as a city utility worker. And the state is arguing that Steve Seitz wasn't even there. So Lance Fisher's lying. We want to get a deposition of him. He's lying because Steve Seitz wasn't even there with the federal agents. Right. And so they got a deposition of Lance Fisher, and they were showing him pictures of Steve Seitz. Is this Steve Seitz? And he's like, I don't know. That's the back of somebody's head. I can't tell if that's him or not. I can't even tell if he has a mustache or not. I can't for sure say. Well, they used that confusion because they were confusing him, but he clearly says that's the back of somebody's head. I'm not going to say if that's Steve Seitz or not. I don't know. You know? And so then they capitalized on that confusion, acting like Lance Fisher doesn't even know who Steve Seitz is, so he's lying that he says he saw Steve Seitz. So they ended up it's it's kind of funny right now it's it's made precedent in case law. <laughs> it's the Santuff uh the Santuff versus Sites sham affidavit uh case law. Judge Duffy ruled that that was a sham affidavit. Now the sham affidavit is actually when you submit an affidavit after a deposition. But this case it was a deposition that contradicted with the affidavit that was submitted before. It was a reverse. And in case law, you can't automatically just have a reverse be the same thing as the law. You follow me? Right. So, so sham affidavit is when someone gets out a sh- summary judgment motion by submitting an affidavit that contradicts their previous testimony. And this didn't contradict any previous testimony. 
this is just saying that I can't tell who the the guy is from a picture, you know, that doesn't show his face. So Judge Duffy ruled against me and ruled it was a sham and charged me attorney fees of like fifty thousand dollars. It's like thirty six plus eight. I don't know. It's it's like it's two different sets of numbers, but it's it's about fifty thousand dollars plus. Yeah, you know, like like that's uh, easy to get. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not only is it easy to get; it's illegal. So I was able to miraculously, through some, I won't get into how I got it or whatever, but I got Steve Seitz's time card. Steve Seitz lied to get out of that lawsuit. The time card that Steve Seitz wrote the day in question, he wrote that he was with the federal agents gathering evidence for a search warrant, and the case number that he put down was the Georgia DNR case number against me. Now, I said the day in question. Let me try to explain that a little better. It wasn't exactly the day in question. My civil rights lawsuit said on or about the 14th of July, they had come and seized turtles without a warrant or stole turtles or robbed me or whatever. That's the civil rights violation on or about the 14th of July, 2005, before getting the 21st of July search warrant execution date. Right. Now, Steve Seitz says in deposition testimony, sworn deposition testimony, that he was on a holiday uh, compensation from July 4th. So evidently he had to work July 4th, the holiday. And now on July 14th, when these federal agents are out there robbing me, he says he's compensated for the day and he had the day off. Now, Holy well, his time card says from the 15th of July that he's with those federal agents gathering search warrant on the case number. Now, my lawsuit said on or about the 14th of July, on or about the 14th of July would include the 13th or the 15th. It mm-hmm. could probably even include the week before. Mm-hmm. You follow me? But yeah. the next day, so he lied and says, I wasn't with them on the 14th. Well, okay, technically that may not be a lie, but it still is a lie because he was with them on or about the 14th. He he didn't put it down that I was never with them ever, and I didn't do this. And he wrote, I was not there, you know, blah, 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 but I got the time card. So anyway, I submitted documentation to judge duffy that there was fraud upon the court this is after you know this is after he made the ruling for attorney fees and he never reversed the attorney fees ruling he never even commented on the uh the fabrication and the lie it's told by the state officer steve sites he never commented on it he never documented it we went to the appeals court with that and the appeals court never even documented it or or ruled on it they totally ignored it. It's in the record. It's filed. It's in the record. It's clear as day. It's it's a main valid argument. It fraud upon the courts in there. Judge Duffy just denied the motion on fraud upon the court. He didn't even he didn't even respond to to it. He didn't write a legal opinion. He just denied it. So that that actually kind of helped me because all these attorneys that have been trying to collect this money from me. For all these years, they go back and they they must end up seeing fraud upon the court. This attorney named Beterbender, I don't know Beterbender's first name, but I had my dad call Beterbender for me. And Beterbender was in a law firm that state hired to, to take everything out of my house and, and sell everything out of my house to get this $50,000. And 
So I had I told my dad I said you know I'm really upset about this and I, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure if I'll be able to contain myself. I'm, I'm not sure if I'll be able to maintain my composure. Yeah, you're at your wit's end. This has yeah. been going on forever. Uh, you run you've ran out of the funds. You've done everything you can. You've uh, supplied everything. I got acquitted. Right. Yeah. So my dad called Beater Bender to tell him, you know, this is a bad idea. He sent letters to my son about coming and taking everything from his house and selling it to recoup this money. This is not good. You need to look into this. This is fraud. This is illegal. It's corrupt. It's it's not right. You know what Beter Bender told my dad? What's that? Beter Bender said, you know what, Mr. Santos, I actually know all about this case, and you're you and your son are absolutely right. There's corruption in this. It's fraud, and it's not right. And uh, I don't know what he said or what he what he thought, but but I I'm thinking this is me thinking. I think they told the state of Georgia that they had this lawful federal judgment that was unlawful. <laughs> you know, it's signed by a federal judge, but it's corrupt. It's illegal. It's not based on law. It's based on a judge ignoring evidence and corruptly making a decision. Yeah, very lazy and sloppy. It just screams at that. Well, but it's not not just lazy and sloppy, just not following, just going along, which kind of like what happened in the Senate hearing. We know he's guilty. We know he did this bad stuff, but we're going to rule and as if he's acquitted. That's what this judge did. Well, we know we, we see the evidence that the state officer lied, but I, I already said, you owe 50 grand. I can't reverse my decision at this point in time. It'll make it look like I'm stupid. I'll just pretend like you don't even have this stuff written in here. I want to know why Judge Duffy's not on the bench anymore. I want the appeals court to tell me, but I want the appeals court to tell me why they would ignore my evidence too. I have a feeling Judge Duffy's not on the bench because of this exact sort of thing, that he's been doing this sort of thing, and the appeals court can only hide it and play along with yeah, him so much. You're definitely not the first person. No, I wasn't the first person. Judge Duffy has many problems in in the end of his time, well, his whole time, but I want to find out why he's not on the bench. But anyway, so the Beter Bender law firm, whatever law firm that was, quit contacting me. Matter of fact, they never could get another law firm to bother me. They started sending me letters themselves from the risk management division. And I've researched the Georgia law completely on liens, and it's over and done. They're they're done. They're, they're just they're, it's over. They tried to find me in May and try to figure this out in May this 2019. They were calling my mother and my friends and lying about who they were, trying to get information on where I was. They called my friend Ben Nockan and said said they were with the county sheriff's office and they needed to talk to me about some of my property documents and uh, try to help me get some of my property documents filled out correctly. Well, Louisiana, where I'm at now, doesn't have counties. So my friend knew the guy was lying. They have parishes. So my friend called me. He's like, look, somebody's trying to call me to get information on you. And I said, well, you know, it's that stuff I told you about. You know, it's the, they're going to try to find out where I'm at and try to figure out how to recoup this money that they think they are owed. And my mom got a phone call as well in May 2019. And they said that they were with uh, they were with a delivery company, and they had a letter, uh, uh, an overnight letter, from my mortgage company, and they needed to get it to me. 
and they needed to know where I was at. And my mother said, uh, just send it to me in Georgia, you know. And they're right. like, well, is he, is he still at this address in, in Louisiana? And they read the address, and she's like, no, just send it to me. I'll make sure he gets it. So then the, then I ended up getting a letter from the state of Georgia demanding this money again in, in I think, uh, uh, I think it was dated July 4th. Anyway, I've researched the George law. It's done. It's over. It's done with. It's gone. It's toasted. I've, I've looked at everything. I've been to the Gwinnett County Courthouse talking to superior court judges about it, talking to the clerk's court. It's over. The judgment's over. The lien is over. It's done. But that was my uh, Judge Duffy case against Steve Seitz. Now, my case against Michael Bloxham and Gary Phillips, I won that case. We need to take a break? No, we're still good to go. We're still good to go? Okay. So, Ralph Goldberg had said he wasn't going to lift a finger to work on that case, and he ruined that scenario. He got that deposition scenario where they tricked Lance Fisher, and then they were able to uh, get the sham affidavit ruling, and case law is all messed up from that, by the way. It's funny. Literally, I've had attorneys tell me that, that it's all messed up because they this, the appeals court didn't rule lawfully on that. I took it to the Supreme Court. Uh, it cost a couple thousand dollars to publish the brief for the Supreme Court, and Robert D'Angostino is my attorney for my alligator snapper turtle conservation group that I had back then. And he is also, he was the dean of John Marshall Law School in Atlanta. He reviewed it for me and he, he, he basically, as, a, as my friend basically signed off on that, he's like, oh, this is good. Man, this is a good Supreme Court brief that you did. It was like 45 pages. Yeah, and, the normal he, person wouldn't have, I felt like, uh, knew the stuff to do that you knew to do and the evidence that you knew to collect. I had learned. Man, you, I learned. you had uh, worked your butt off. In five years, I learned a lot about the law, and then I've spent about 300 hours putting that Supreme Court case together. Literally. not No joke. Literally 300 hours, probably. And I got it, I got it published, and my... My federal attorney that I had after Goldberg, Nick Dumich, now we won that case against the federal agents in trial. Nick Dumich told me my, my Supreme Court brief was excellent. And Steve Wosley, my main attorney through all of this, told me what you did in that Supreme Court brief was better than any attorney would have or could have done for you. I think you might have got into the wrong profession then. <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't, I'm not saying I'm that good. I'm not. I don't have a law degree. But, right. but I put a passion into it, and I learned how, how, how it was needed to be written and formatted, and I knew the arguments, and I knew what a Supreme Court brief is. A Supreme Court brief is an argument to the Supreme Court that there's a national interest in the issue. And the way the Georgia court ruled on the sham affidavit is a controversy in every state, and it's handled differently in every state. And basically, when the state of Georgia said that my scenario was a sham affidavit and they ignored the evidence, I mean, that was a big deal. Not only ignoring the evidence is a big deal, but ruling against me based on a judge making a, a, 
a credibility finding of witnesses or, uh, you know, ruling on matters of fact that he shouldn't have ruled on. So I, I put everything together and, uh, I, I wasn't granted cert, you know, they only take 2% of the cases. So they didn't find it as national of an interest as I tried to make it, you know? And so I was flattered and, uh, happy that Nick Dumich told me, uh, it was excellent. Steve Wosley said it was as good as, as good as any attorney would have or could have done. That was cool. Now, moving on to that. That's all the time we have for you this week on the Thorny Turtle Ranch podcast. The conclusion of Steve's story will be next week in episode five. Look for it on all major platforms. Thanks for listening.